Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. Yeah, he's like, oh, did we win? Oh, no, we didn't. <laughs> I'm going to Utah. Stuff like this never happens in Utah. That line. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I may be recording from Utah right now. <laughs> that was pretty that was funny. Can confirm that no ethnews are shooting red eyes of death out at anyone, so Utah is indeed safe. All right, what's up, Titans, Turtlenecks? Another FOMOR. This is Phantology, Steven, Ben, and Josh. We just finished Battleground. Some of us literally moments ago finished Battleground. Looking at you, Josh. I finished about an hour ago. So we are totally ready to discuss this. I mean, if there's ever a time to talk about a book like this, it's right now. As soon as the action has finished, the dust is still settling. So... Before we get into it, like overall thoughts here, maybe just like a, a few sentences of something that's not a spoiler, kind of hard to do when you're talking book 17, but what did you guys think of the book? This might be the most accurate title of any book I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, it, it it's just a battleground, the entire book, right? Yes, it is. The battleground being Chicago. And by the end, uh, well, we'll just say that the battle has concluded. The battle has happened and is finished. And once we get Ben's thoughts without spoilers, we'll talk the rest of it. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this book, it felt so much like, I mean, it's the same criticism that I had with Peace Talks, right? It felt like an unfinished book, only this was really? unfinished on the front end for me. Okay. I mean, like, okay. The whole book was just like the climax, right? Which which is fine, but it just felt like it. You know, it didn't feel like two separate books. It felt like one book, which is what we all knew was going to happen. I just wish that there would have been a little bit more effort to make it feel like a standalone book. Honestly, I don't have any problem with it in that regard. I, I see what you're saying. And we knew it was going to happen because they were written together and then they split for whatever reason that maybe you guys can tell us about if you're big fans. But I was fine with it. I mean, I thought at least we had, you know, the the introduction with some action is like fairly typical Dresden, except there wasn't that like medium part where Harry gathers his allies. I mean, there even was that a little bit. I don't know. I felt like it was a pretty standard like Dresden formula book just way, way further than what we've seen before in terms of action. I thought it was kind of like the two Endgame movies. But yeah. the second Endgame like, actually had... It was it was very similar, but it actually had this kind of moment where you go in and you you realize the characters have found some like new normal and then they quickly get away from that. But I don't know. I felt like the two, the two parts of Endgame felt more like both of them could have been standalone movies. I felt like that was what he should have aimed for a little bit more. I guess we have this open question as to what happened here with the book being split in half and being released three months apart. It's it's very interesting. I have not seen this before, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think we can just kind of assume that they didn't want to do book that was suddenly twice as long as anything before it, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess you could. 
So are we going to just like hash this discussion out right now? Because I have thoughts about it too. All right, let's let's get into that. So before we do, if you like Phantology and you want to listen to more of our episodes, we cover a lot of stuff. We've actually covered all of the Dresden books. Now we still need to cover the short stories. So almost all of the Dresden books, but we've covered a lot of other uh, series as well. Joe Abercrombie is on the top of my list right now. We just reviewed The Trouble with Peace. We've done stuff from Harry Potter to some Stormlight things. We need to do more Sanderson for the amount of stuff we talked about. We've done some Wheel of Time. We're in the midst of several different series that we're reviewing. So if you like any of that stuff, check us out at www.phantologybooks.com. You can follow us on social media at Phantology Books. And we do these tw- uh, monthly Twitter polls that are kind of fun. Feel free to engage with us on the community. If you want to talk with us more, hop on our Discord and let us know well, what we miss in these reviews, what theories you have, etc. We have a growing community there. They're always happy to jump in with whatever discussions. So let's talk spoilers now. So Josh, go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, I more agree with Ben on this one, where I felt like this was like a sprint of just moving from action set piece to action set piece. And I feel like it didn't necessarily need to be that. Even if you just take this as a set, like a self-contained book, I felt like there were a few skirmishes that happened that he could have maybe cut out in order to give a little bit more time for Harry to deal with losses and to maybe just slow down the pace a little bit. How would he do, how would he do that though in one battle? Because it's all happening in one horrible Chicago night. I don't know. <laughs> I guess day, really. It's it's a day. Nah, whatever. Yeah. Be- because that's the other thing is I think that Butcher shows that he knows how to handle action. There is no doubt in my mind about that. He handled the full last half of this book was handled expertly. I thought you knew where people were. You knew what they were doing. You knew what the strategy was. And you always had a good idea of what was going on. So I thought that that was wonderful. Yeah, a lot of a lot of players on the field. And like you say, you always kind of were able to follow them around. You felt like you knew what level of peril everyone was in. Yeah. Which is something that I like to track because I'm like, okay, who should I be concerned about right now? And I always felt like I had a handle on that. Right. So that aspect I thought was absolutely phenomenal. But I go back to the criticism of like, there was no stopping in this book. Just there was that one chapter with Harry gathering his forces that you felt like you had a little bit of time to breathe. But other than that, there was nothing like it was just constant. And I felt like it could have benefited from maybe like one or two other moments like that, where they, you get a little bit more time to sit back and really reflect on what's been happening and what the consequences are going to be. I can see that. Another part of the Dresden formula that we know and love are these deeper emotional moments where you get inside Harry's head and he teaches you some nice lessons. And maybe we didn't have that quite as much, but we still had it enough for me where I felt like it was present. And I I really like those moments. Honestly, like the action was awesome. And I mean, don't get me wrong, that that's fun to follow. But I think for me, the stuff that keeps me coming back to Dresden are the characters and the moral lessons that are there that are, I mean, it's, it's, it's not disguised. Right. And, and, and it's really nice stuff. 
Yeah, totally agree. So we're going to go into a, a slightly different format than our previous reviews. Rather than just talk through the entire plot, we're going to start off. I'm going to feed you guys some characters and we're going to talk about them, you know, keep it brief on each of them. So because there are quite a few characters in the book and then we'll talk our, our big plot points and then a few kind of general questions, theories, themes, whatever we want to throw out there. So let's get started. And by random ordering, I want to talk about Marcone first. Maybe it's not random because he was super interesting. Probably the best reveal. I mean, okay, the Justine thing was cool too. But for Marcone to have picked up the Denarian coin and looking back, it, it was there, you know, in small favor when when the Thorn Namshil, yeah, Thorn uh, Namshil coin was gone. I mean, it's fairly obvious that either he or Guard had it. So it wasn't anything new, but like that's been long enough. And I had kind of forgotten about that, to be honest. And so for that to come out and for him to really be a denarian, I think this is awesome. I totally agree with that analysis. I was shocked by it. I was like, dang, there goes Marcone too. You know, and the fact that he had already offed Murphy at this point made me believe it. What you're talking about the moment where his neck got snapped. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. Ethneo. Ethneo picked him up. There goes his neck, you know? Yeah. And I've always really enjoyed Marcone. And the thing is, is that I was thinking about the Twilight book that was just released or something that was released from Ed, Edward's perspective, right? Okay. And I was thinking how cool a Dresden series would be of each story that Marcone is like heavily in uh-huh. being written from his perspective. Where Harry's the villain. Yeah, where Harry's the villain. <laughs> Yeah. Or yeah, because they have such a cool inter- they have such cool interactions with each other that I feel like that would be really compelling. And it could be a little bit more gray because he's not always trying to do good. Harry's always trying to, in the end, be a good person. And he whereas Marcone is just like, I have my ends, I'm gonna get them. Yes. You know, with ha- with having some sort of moral guidance, but we're not quite sure how- he's willing to cross lines that Harry's not, obviously. Can I submit to you one Joe Abercrombie to write that series? <laughs> I know that it would just be so cool to have a team up, a collab between Abercrombie and Butcher where they're writing a book, even just a book from a short story from uh-huh. Marcone's perspective. That probably exists because I haven't read them, but Th- there were some dark moments from this book. A lot of it was kind of glossed over and like, okay, there's the bodies, there's the blood, nothing too detailed but there was some darker stuff for sure i mean a lot of people died and you really felt it i think it was cool that marcone like did take responsibility for chicago you know he felt like he had a responsibility to protect the inhabitants of chicago and he took that seriously and put his life on the line for it i thought that was pretty awesome yeah i mean marcone being willing to defend chicago does show his character but we've seen that before I forget what book it was, but it was when there was some type of conflict with the, and they were teaming up with the white court vampires and they're slugging it out with a, a bunch of. All the ghouls in the deeps. Yeah. The ghouls and they're in the deeps. And then he called Marconin and Marcone was only supposed to help them do the certain objective. And then Harry was like, right. Don't you care that innocent people will die if you don't help out. And then Marcone also helped in that situation. And so I feel like a, right. he's he's done this type of thing before where he considers himself 
you know, the Baron of Chicago. And so he's going to defend Chicagoans. So he's, and he's been humanized enough, like the stuff with the Stroud as well. And towards the end of this book, you know, he was kind of agreeing, yeah, we need to, we need to help out the, the mortals here. He is a gangster though. Like, would it really surprise you if he just wrote it off? He's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I, I checked out. It's not like a gangster is a transferable, you know, job. You can't be the gangster of Chicago and then become gangster. Of, no, take an early retirement, man. He's got wealth. He can just go off. That's to not an the island. point, man. Marcon doesn't care about wealth. He cares about power. At some point, he would just he ride it power off. Power and, and he has the most power and influence over Chicago. I think he's a fantastic, great character. Where we've seen the human side of him, we've seen now the literal demon side of him, and everything in between. And yeah, I think a lot of it, I'd say he's mostly motivated by power and by this status of Baron of, you know, Lord Baron of Chicago. I think he thinks himself as a, you know, pretty big man on campus here as being the only mortal that's part of the Accords. I think overall he's, he's pretty cool. I would not want to mess with him. You know, he might end up being one of the big bads of the entire series because like even in the midst of just saving the day from the Titan. Harry's still like, we're going to throw it down eventually. And Marcon's like, yes, we will. Yep. That calculating look that they had when they were looking at the eye sitting there on the beach and looking at the spear of destiny. And Marcon's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of thinking about the long game here. So I'll just kind of let this one go for yeah, now. What's the long game there? I don't like, that's one of the most powerful objects that we've ever seen. Two of the most. Po- yeah. He knew that like the coordinations wouldn't just let him have it. I don't know how he would have gotten out of that with, yeah, like he, he would have had to probably fight and kill Harry. So I don't know if there's much of an explanation for that other than the fairly obvious conclusion that they went for the eye and okay, now you have like, there's issues, right? You can't kill Harry Dresden after everything that's happened. It's a coin toss if you're going to win, first of all, like Harry is Harry. He. Right. Very well could kill you. So you'd take that, you say, let's just say 50-50, you know, being generous to Marcone, I feel like. And then after that, you kill the winter knight. So then you're gonna have winter against you. You right. know. Plus you've got you've got Harry's death curse to deal with as well. That would have to happen. And they've already soul gazed. They've already soul gazed too, right? Yeah. Okay. Hold on for one second. They addressed both of those concerns in the book when when Marcone was like. Well, I mean, Harry maybe internal internally monologued addressed it where it was like all this stuff has happened. There's gonna there would be no way to tell, you know, what really happened. Like nobody would know if Marcone killed Harry. Possibly, I don't know. I, I mean, people are converging on the scene. The fight could go on for longer. Like Josh said, I mean, it, I think I think it's a bit of a toss up for him, and he's looking at it as like maybe not a risk that I could take now. Like, let me regroup, gather all of my power, and then do something a little more sinister or, you know, figure out. I mean, maybe he's got to evaluate his options, right? Like, everything has changed. And Sorry to cut you off. But when they were running, he was like, can a mortal, or can you use that thing? And Harry is like, maybe after yeah. a lifetime of study. So maybe that played into his decision of like, even if he gets it, somebody's going to take him out before he's able to even learn how to really use it. Okay, that's fair. I just feel... Harry's often bragged about like powerful things that he he has access to now. And this seems like a, a giant tool in that arsenal, you know. Harry's getting more stuff. He's building up his inventory. 
I love the part where uh, Harry calls him a fake wizard after the uh, the little exchange where they, you know, he saved his life by building the the concrete construction. I think it was to survive the wave, and he's like, "Really, that's the best." Like you almost killed us there. Yeah, <laughs> I I was a little bit lost in that. Like as good as as great as the action was described in the book, I was a little bit lost during that part. It was also like one fifteen in the morning when I was listening to that. So. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't could 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 have put it down. All right, so past Marcone, let's talk Lara Wraith. Lara wasn't in this book a ton. I mean, she was always kind of present, but mostly just fighting. Uh, we have next book stuff for her, the wedding supposedly that will happen in one year. So this isn't going to go well, obviously. This, okay, was part of the worst of the best for me. I feel like this cheapened the big death that we all experienced in this book. I feel like when Murphy died, I was really cut up about it, especially because there wasn't a reason she had to. By the end of the book, I'm like, oh, Butcher wanted to have Harry marry Laura and the only, or Lara, and the only way that that could happen is if he killed off Murphy. So I was like, dang, that's a great, that was a great death. And it really struck me. But by the end, I was like, that death was just a way for, for him to get to another plot device. I don't know. Do you think that he's really going to marry Lara in the next book? It at least it's going to be a conflict. It's going to be the it's going to be what plot revolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it could have been a conflict either way if Murphy was no, still there. Nobody you know, would how, have how, that would have been yeah, it. No, that would have never happened. Yeah, what well, Murphy would be like, get out of here, you big, you big lumberjack. You go do what you have to do to protect mortals or whatever. No, you know, that like plot it could just it would have not worked with Murphy there. I don't know. It, I mean, there's tension built into it right away. It there, it could work. It would You're be different. You're telling me that Murphy's death, that he did not consider, like it became so much easier for him to work this plot line between Harry and Laura, Lara with Murphy out of the picture. I think it's too soon to say that before we read the book, right? Let's see what he's let's see what he's got in store. I'm so excited to see Ben get roasted no, on Discord. I'm just saying from a gut reaction, I was like. When I read that Murphy died, I was like so cut up about it, especially for because of that reason, because she just died so out of the blue. And so, okay, wait, we're, sorry, we're going on to Murphy's plotline. We can finish up Lara's. Yeah, let's let's jump ahead to Murphy. There's not all that much to for, for Lara. Let's talk about it. I don't think there's any way we hold this back too far because it probably was the most controversial thing in the book. Yeah, okay. So th- there's a few parts of this. First of all, I, I want to get your guys' reaction about the fact that Rudolph is the one that killed her. Terrible. Terrible. Come on. You just have Murphy take out one of the giants, one of the Jotun dudes with a bazooka. And then this cop who has the affinity for the F word just go, hauls off and shoots her because he can't keep it together. Oh, my gosh. No, that was how do you how do you let Murphy go like that? OK, I have the exact opposite impression. Really? OK. Yeah, let's because hear it. One of the most defining things about Murphy is her relationship with the law. Not only the law, but police specifically. And it started off with her having an absolute fealty by with the police. It evolved into her okay. having, having separated her from the police and saying that perhaps justice can be pursued apart from the police. And then it ended with her literally being killed by the police. So you have like this this long 
overarching series progression of her okay. relationship with the police and her downfall ended up being everything that was wrong and stupid with the with the system. So there's some thematic sense to right. it. Like she could have been taken out by Harry's world. Instead, she was taken out by her own world. I was like you initially. I was like, Rudolph, really? And then I was like, well, there's a lot of, you know, symmetry and a lot of reasons why that really does work. I can see that Here argument a little thoughts. bit. I like that argument. And I'm not really going to weigh into if I thought it was good that Rudolph had killed her. But I thought that there was a lot of foreshadowing at the beginning of the book. Ben's favorite thing with they mentioned like three or four times. I felt like uh-huh. like your trigger trigger readiness, you know? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Telling people, you know, you keep your finger off the trigger unless you're expecting yeah. to kill someone. And that was like brought up a few times, you know, and then to have that. So maybe a good social commentary, if nothing else. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely, you know, topical right now. I also think when, if I ever go back and do a reread of the series, now whenever I read it, Rudolph was already like a terrible character, but now whenever I see him on the page, I'm just going to like hate him. Yeah, there needs to be an F Rudolph subreddit <laughs> coming out yeah. of this. And then fi- finally, we're not even done with Rudolph because he's still alive. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Guys, I totally wanted Dresden to just tear him limb, limb for limb. I don't care what the consequences would have been. I'm mad that he got away. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think it would have been so awesome if Dresden would have let him go and then he would have just gotten stomped on by a giant. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, how great would that have been? Yeah. Dresden, you know, the whole the whole thing happens exactly how it happened. You know, the whole hi- fight with... With Butters and Sonya. And then he just runs off, gets destroyed by something. They just kind of look at each other just and like shrug. Stom- and- no, stomped on by a giant. That's what. That's how I wanted it. The only other thing that would have trumped that is a conjuritis thing taking them out. <laughs> the conjuritis, it- interesting, the conjuritis. Yeah, now that you say, I hadn't thought about that again. I mean, there's one instance of it, right? Is there anything else happened? Maybe two. Yeah. What, the anvil and then one that happens when they're, they're on the roof making their plans, if, as far as I remember. Yeah. So just to finish up, Rudolph, we have been keeping track of him as kind of this this really shady character throughout the series. And we, at least I've been waiting for him to do something big. Because we know he's on somebody's payroll, though, right? Like, that's been hinted at several times. It's been told. Yeah, told. To us, but basically. I mean, Harry's never gone through the trouble of figuring out who whose payroll he's on. Maybe he's going to be a link back to either the Black Council, if that's still a plot line. Or maybe it was straight Nemesis that was part of that but i mean that didn't seem like an intentional offing it just seemed like rudolph as an incompetent character made a bad decision so if he's on someone's payroll then they should upgrade from rudolph get to get to someone that can actually well harry do did say that that the police stopping them right at the beginning there you know yeah, that, so okay. he was kind of wary of that happening and so maybe if rudolph like yeah realized he could, like i agree i think i'm giving rudolph too much credit here he could have, though, realized that he couldn't kill Harry, then shot Murphy. Then again, he was like, what happened? I didn't do that or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it was personal. I think this did tie up a loose end from Peace Talks with a random visit from them at the beginning of the book where you're like, okay, what's the point of this? Now I know what the point was. Well, I mean, I still don't. Like, is, are, are, is Harry still going to be in, under investigation for that whole thing? Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, at least it sets it up a little more. But yeah, you're right. It still is an open thing. Yeah, there were other things that I thought 
Oh, there's just a lot it expected you to remember from Peace Talks. This is going back to a little bit more of the conversation of if it should have been one book. Even with when he cast that spell to have Ramirez be tugged by the cape. Yeah. By his cape. Oh, yeah. Like left marks. And like you just kind of alluded to it. It's like, oh, yeah, when I cast that spell. And, you know, that's like a small enough detail that it's fine if it's in the same book, but if it's in a different book. Right referencing it again i think you've said this before ben it's like for as often as he re-explains soul gazes you think maybe some of those words could have been used up to solidify these uh, continuity things yeah. a little more and you mentioned soul gazes it's interesting that he takes time to flesh out oh, i can't even remember his name the rudolph's like the good cop to rudolph let's call the him the good, good cop. cop yeah he really flushed out his character with like describing his soul gaze Fleshed, fleshed out his character. Fleshed out. Whatever. <laughs> he gave him more flesh. I wasn't going to correct you the first time you said it, but second time. With his daughter and everything. With his yeah. daughter. And he's like this oak tree that has like a foundation that will worry any. Yeah. So yeah. that is like a a good part of building in soul gazes to your world. But like, why is this guy going to yeah. come back? He might be the next Murphy, kind of his in with the police department. Oh, yeah. Probably not the romantic in though. <laughs> Going back to soul gazes and, and Murphy a little bit, he never soul gazed with Murphy. He was always afraid to, and then he tries to kind of like right at the end, or, or they're about to, and then you know Murphy dies. I think some of the best writing from the book was him talking this analogy of like looking into an empty house, and and fairly emotional. Like uh, th- this one really got me here. So it was, it was t- a tough read. It was. It, it really was like. It was tough as the audience, you know, because the I would say the last person that yeah. anybody wanted to die would have been Murphy, right? Like I I would have probably apart from, you know, Harry's daughter, Maggie, apart from Maggie, I would say there's nobody else I would have rather. And I know a lot of the fandom's going to say we knew Murphy was going to die and it's been alluded to with the Valkyries and and everything, so it, it did seem like it was inevitable. I'm honestly just surprised like she's not coming back at least from what we understand. Where at the end they say, well, you know, she could come back and, and fight for us here, but she can't until her memory fades. So I thought she might be coming back right away. And I was looking for that at the end, you know, the, the comeback, the triumphant, leave you with a little feeling of hope, but it sounds like she's gone. We've had comments on Discord saying that she's going to come back in the Armageddon to fight alongside the Valkyries. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully somehow. Yeah. Somehow. How cool would it be if Harry pulls like a Fantastic Beast where he wipes everybody's memory and then he like has to wipe his own memory of Murphy so that she can come back? Is that Fantastic Beast? Yeah, at the end, like with a, it rains the memory charm and oh, everybody man. loses their memory. I guess if you really went through the bother, bother of watching both those movies, you would understand. Yeah. Oh, come yeah, on. Those are, those are rough. Those are rough watches. They're not bad. They're not bad. They're not, <laughs> They're not good. great, dude. They're good. They're not great. All right. Okay, so let's move on to Justine. Justine wasn't in the book very much, except for the big reveal at the end that Nemesis had been possessing her. Nemesis was a name that he who walks beside, who's an outsider, was using. So this reveal was pretty awesome. It was after the climax. It just kind of sets us up for future conflict. Nemesis gets away at the end, and we, we had it pointed out on Discord 
that this was actually set up really well because Justine's temperament and demeanor had significantly changed. And this was previously passed off as when she started to take some mood modification medications. And so it makes sense now. And like, were you guys shocked at this? I was, I was pretty shocked. Yeah, definitely some shock. So here's my question. The only character we've seen that has come out of Nemesis control was Lenanchi, right? And that was only done after like years of torment from Mab. And so the fact that they're trying to go rescue Justine in hopes of saving her from Nemesis, uh, I'm like, no, dude, you shoot first to ask questions later in this situation. You know, I, I don't really see a way of Justine coming back from this as well as I, I know she means the world to Thomas, but I think Thomas has kind of already accepted that she's gone to some level. It's a good question. I do. Yeah. I do wonder if there's really any, I mean, we had Murphy die. I don't, think anyone's really safe at this point i i might just prefer to yeah if i'm planning this in part of the new underground magic only community here that harry stumbles onto at the end i might just say let's take out justine sorry white council like we'll pay you a wear guild or whatever thomas is locked up anyway like let's just let, let's let's be practical I mean, about but this i guess that that the whole that her whole power came from people not knowing about nemesis so if i was nemesis i would be like all right well that gambit failed. Yeah, time for a new one. Nemesis isn't just in one body, right? So what's the point of continuing to inhabit Justine? That's a good point. Yeah, just strategically, that would be the thing to do for Nemesis. Just get rid of, you know, get rid of Justine. She might know something. Let's just kill her and then hop into someone else. Yeah. Who's to say it hasn't happened? Who knows? We'll see what happens here. Okay, next, Michael. Michael, another character that wasn't in the book a ton, except for a couple awesome moments. At the end, Michael always kind of brings it. In this one, he brought it in two different ways with some humor when he just tells the, uh, the, the white council. <laughs> yeah, some things just need to be said, and I'll do penance later, but here is every swear word in the books. And then his acceptance of Molly at the end when she finally comes home was awesome. Another uh, moment that really kind of hit me in the feels here. So even though Michael's not on the field fighting anymore, he continues to bring it. Yeah, that was such a, it was a prodigal son moment. Yeah, prodigal son. Uh, same page. Yeah, where he literally welcomed her back with a hug, a kiss, if and the, a meal. If the son hadn't, you know, wasted away his wealth and became a beggar, but instead went and became one of the most powerful humans in the world. Yeah. It was a prodigal son moment. Yeah. <laughs> and they had everything ready for her. He's like, well, I don't know how much silver is going to be a problem or, or uh, uh, metal iron is going to be a problem for you so here's some silverware and we'll give you some gloves you can do the dishes still yeah there's a lot of parts with that yeah so there's still those scenes that this book didn't miss out on but it just seemed like they were pushed off to the side whereas normally they feel like they're the centerpiece you know what i mean and i was fine for me it had enough of it still like it had enough where i'm thinking about those moments and those are the moments that are that really put a smile on my face and, and, you know, kind of get you right in the heart. And so it was enough for me, but I can see some people maybe wanting a little more of the slower stuff because it's, it's good, but your writes that stuff really well. Yeah. So from one mentor slash father figure to another that maybe I didn't like as much like Ebenezer in this one. So did anyone, or was it just me that found 
their interaction at the beginning of the book to be strange after what went down at the end of peace talks for them to just be kind of like, I mean, there was some unsaid stuff between them and Harry's like, we need to talk later. And Ebenezer's like, we, we already said everything. Yeah. We've come to the end of talking, but come on, like Ebenezer, you just killed Harry. I mean, you would have killed him if not for the illusion. So shouldn't there be, I, maybe I'm just kind of mad at Ebenezer for not, being more sorrowful for where things have yeah, gone. Yeah, I mean, look at I understand his burst of outrage at finding out that his daughter had been defiled by a vampire who he hates. But like, after the initial shock wears off, you got to do some soul searching. Yeah, but this is only like ten hours later. Yeah, but ten hours is still ten hours. You you're allowed an initial burst, but. You're a wizard, man. You gotta you gotta control your emotions. You gotta rein it in. You gotta deal with these hard truths. Yeah, isn't the immediate the immediate after effect of this to be like, oh my gosh, I would have killed Harry. I feel awful now. I must you know beg for his forgiveness. Or I mean, I understand he's the black staff. He, he's you know gotta protect his image in front of everyone. So maybe it's not quite that extreme. That's maybe what I would have done. But I'm a nicer person. That in Ebenezer, but at the same time, I, I would expect something. Yeah. Yeah, we got nothing. We got less than nothing. We got now he's going to go out and execute Harry if Harry steps out of line. Yeah, he doubled well, down, right? No, that was... Yes, that did happen. But I feel like that, that was Ebenezer being pushed into a corner almost. I could see. Yeah, we didn't get the full story there. And they did say, you know, Ebenezer's was like in surgery. but But the White Council is not being yeah. friendly to Harry. I'm just saying we're seeing we're not seeing a queue up of Ebenezer and Harry like mending things. Yeah, that's true. No, definitely. If not. anything, it's going downhill, you know. Yeah, so that's also a question. Okay. I feel like the white and black council and like that whole thing was set up so well and I was looking forward to it. Like there was so much to that plot line. And now I just almost feel like the white council is just rubbish. Like they don't care that Harry just saved a city and defeated a god they're like eh, well he's he's too much trouble i don't even know like you have some michael words to say about the white council not not only the white like yes i do but also the whole mental energy of becoming invested in the politics behind the white council and the black council and trying to keep track of that and reading about it for so many books and then it just seems like that's not even a thing anymore well, I don't think it's been written off entirely. The Black Council has not been defeated. They're still much, very much in the shadows. We know that Nemesis is pulling through. I, we don't know everything, right? But what Ben's saying, I think, is, well, who cares about the Black Council infiltrating the White Council because we don't even like the White Council at all? Right. Like, they're the same thing. So they're just kind of one in the same. They're basically all Black Council It's, it's as if, like, all the houses converge to Slytherin. And you're like, ah, well, okay. I knew those Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs were no good. Yeah, the whole I don't time. know. It's just kind of like now Harry expects the White Council to come too. So what's the difference between the White Council and the Black Council? But at the same time, doesn't it like from the White Council point of view? Again, I think it is like fairly understandable because they've got their mo, and, and Harry's now joined up with the Winter Court. And I don't know, maybe things could have been worked out better. But these guys never communicated. Yeah, enough. but here's the thing, Harry, like freaking has done everything that the white council has asked him to do. He became a warden. He like tries to do things above the board. Yeah. From their perspective, he has like gone a few steps down on a path that they don't understand or think as right, but it's not like they've given him very much 
much opportunities to defend that. I mean, Ramirez like the one olive branch, but like the only reason Harry couldn't confide in Ramirez is because he knew it wouldn't make a difference overall. That's true. That that uh, look into Harry's head towards the beginning where he's like, well, I do trust Ramirez and I want to get him on, on my side here. But at the same time, I know that his ultimate loyalty is to the White Council, so I can't. That, that was a nice way to explain things, where, where the state of things Plus, are now. Plus, it seems like the only thing he was trying to keep secret from Ramirez was where he was for a few hours when he was rescuing Thomas. Like, it just seems like out of all the things to break the camel's back here, like a few hours of unaccounted for activity should not suddenly set Harry at odds with everybody. Okay, let's talk about Molly. So Molly got some acceptance from her parents, which, which was really nice. Again, not in the book a whole lot, mostly kind of for the action sequences. I thought it's just nice to see that she's healthier. She's in a better mental state. She's able to you know, fall into her role here as Winter Lady a little bit better. So I'm, I'm liking where things are going for Molly. I was concerned when Mab said, if I die, you need to kill Molly Carpenter. And I was thinking, okay, well, that's going to happen. Like if you say, if you show me a card like that, it's probably going to get played, but I'm glad it didn't. Well, it still might. Eventually, yeah. yeah. The Guns N' Roses stuff where she came in, that, welcome to the jungle. That was, was awesome. Grinning. That was my that was my stupid grin moment. The, oh, yeah. Book. She definitely did show that she had kind of, I mean, she showed her power level. But it was also, the thing that concerned me most about her was that she had gathered up an army of maybe kids and maybe had been stealing yeah, she is maybe not played above the board as much as Harry has tried yeah, to. Yeah, so that's kind of concerning. Her humanity is kind of in doubt right now. I mean, I know that she's still a good person, but seems like she's kind of embraced Winter Lady Mantle. Mm. Yep, that is a little concerning. Okay, so Ma- Molly's obviously ruled by Mab. There's a lot of Mab in this book. Mab is kind of running the show for the most part. She's got a nice showdown with Ethnew, and her and Harry get this further, deeper understanding of the roles they're going to play. Harry continues to kind of pick his moments and fight with his boss here. Some at the end, Mab says you have to marry Lara, though, so that's really probably not a very savvy political move on her part. I don't know. From her perspective, she's sharing up an alliance, right? Yeah, but also, like, understand your tool here a little bit. You know this is not a good move for Harry. Why isn't it? I'm I'm a little confused on why you're upset about Like, why isn't it a good move move for Harry? Well, I'm mad that Mab is forcing Harry to marry Lara after Murphy just died. I think that Mab paid a respect to Murphy. Yeah, but come on, you know who Harry is here. If I'm Mab, you know, I got my knight Harry. He's very emotional and, and a loose cannon. No, it's what is Mab? She said it. She was like, love and hate are just opposites of the same force. I'm reason. Okay. You know, she doesn't know what love is anymore. So for her, she can just see, oh, here's an opportunity to better Harry. Because she knows that Harry wants Lara, right? Yeah, seems like <laughs> there's something there. Yeah. So so she's like, well, he he does want her. But he's gonna need an excuse, and I, it's gonna shore up our alliance, and you know this and this and this. Like, why That's not fair. make him do it? And she said, you know, I've I've lost you know several lovers over the years. You'll get over it. She does talk about how she was mortal once, and maybe she kind of sees like 
all right, Harry, you know, let's, let's get rolling here. You're kind of going down the same road. Yeah. So I, I don't think it was a dumb move. I think it's an interesting move. Yeah, maybe not a dumb move. Yeah, may, maybe I shouldn't have uh, gone that hard on map. She she performed very well in this I book. I will say, I wish, this isn't really map, I brought up Linanchi earlier. I wish we had seen her in this battle. Oh, yeah. Could have been yeah. mentioned. I mean, she's definitely a part of Winter that is not unsubstantial. Like, she's demanded some of map's yeah. personal attention. Yeah, like we got so much with the Earl King. I mean, not a whole lot, but like he was on page. Right. Yeah. Seems like a, a similar a similar power level. I, I don't know. Somewhere close. Yeah, it would have been nice. All right. What about Butters? Butters, big Butters book, big Butters. right? He's kind of the common man, warrior. He has a great moment where he stands up to Ethne, who kind of saves the day. My take on this was like he was being used as a vessel from god with a capital g is that what happened let there be light man right and and he was protected and and kind of bought the time needed for the the forces to rally and just the courage of this little dude i mean you you guys have talked about it like the growth we've seen from him from beginning to end in this series is awesome yeah Yeah, there's literal shivers during that part for me i was feeling it i was like this is this is amazing and the cool thing is that every step of him feels like that. Like even him like freaking skateboarding away from all the people that were attacking him in the heist book. And he was like pulling out all these like little wizarding tools and like managing to outrun like yeah. this whole hook. I think those are all binders, goons, and skin game. Anyway, but that again, that felt like, oh man, Butters is really coming to his own. And then every step after that has just felt like very logical and very like small steps that you could believe. And something he was like standing up to or standing up to Ethnew is awesome. I like to think the butcher's kind of writing himself in butters a little bit. I mean, you guys have said maybe he's writing himself as like he's Harry on all the other days where Harry's not saving the world, but at least butters is fun as like a, a common nerd. Just reading the book. You're like, yeah, I'm I'm like a butters, you know, like I, I have potential to do so much. He's, he's an, he's an inspiring character. Yeah. Butters is awesome. I think that butters and Sonya round each other off so well. They're both not at all. Like we went from Michael being our introduction to a night of the cross, you know, yeah. and we're like, okay, that's a very stereotypical role. And now you have like two opposites yeah. of that. So one, one thing that I think was cool is we've been told before that, Harry is Butters' source of faith. And so I wonder if it was his proximity of having Harry right behind him and having uh, defending Harry is what kind of gave him that much power. Possibly. I mean, we've we've heard that faith is not just a faith in the Almighty. It's it's faith in something substantial. Harry's right behind him. And that's what he says. He's like, you haven't taken out Harry Dresden. And Harry Dresden is taken down. You know, he's come out ahead of all these other guys before. So. So there's still more. You haven't won yet, Ethnio. And it turned out that was the turning yeah. point. And he kind of, he put himself between Ethnio and Harry a few times. So I, I would have preferred if there was just one time where that happened, but there was one major time, but I feel like there was a couple of times before that too. Here's here's a large scale question. In this, what what other characters do we need to make, make it through, Stephen? We've talked about Harry a bit. Oh, right. Yeah. What's your large scale question? So... Could you see Harry 
binding Ethnio to his well and destroying one of the walkers. Yeah, he, he is for sure going to do that. Bringing her back out using uh, using the tools from Demon Reach. It seems like a moral thing that he would get into, right? Like, oh, I can't use these bad things, but stuff's happening. I've got to stop it. And here's my tool. Yeah, it's very much a coin dilemma, right? Yeah. Well, he talks about being able to bind her to his will now. So it wouldn't even be like a coin thing. It would just be if his will is strong enough, he can tell her to go do something and she has to do it and then come back. Seems sketchy, but it seems like something that could totally well, first happen. Of all, it's not even him that thought of that, right? That was Mab that kind of brought that to attention. Yeah. So Mab is expecting right. him to do it. So it might also be Mab ordering it to as, mm. as the winter night. Yeah. And the, the eye still exists. And Harry it's has not it. Like it yeah, yeah. The, mm. There's going to be, that's going to happen at some point. Fantology guarantee. Fantology guarantee. There, I love it. Fantology guarantee. Guaranteed theory. Look for that. It's also pretty awesome to think that there's a story at least as epic as Ethnio with every other thing that's kept inside. We don't know uh, if it's island. as epic. Well, okay. So here's a question that I have. So where's it going from here, right? Ethnio pretty much took out Chicago thousands, died. How do we top this? Uh, do we just write another three book? battleground which is what he's planning on doing we've seen the prison it's kind of a Chekhov's gun where we think eventually it, it's going to come out is that what we expect to happen i think there's going to be a few few books of harry gathering his all of his resources and doing a few smaller missions because now he has his castle that's pretty cool he's going to be chilling yeah that's great yeah he bested Marcone there so I, I, my my bet is there's going to be another denarian story Right, we've got to have it. Nicodemus, look, Nicodemus and Marcone. We got to see this relationship, and then we're going to have another story with him, maybe just on a White Knight mission. Well, there's going to be a Lero story. That's going to be the next book. It's going to be White Court, White Court next, then probably a Denarian one. I mean, we'd assume Denarian is book twenty if we hold to the 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 book numbering pattern. <laughs> Yeah, and then after that, I mean, we only have another three books until the big apocalypse, right? He might have added some more. Yeah, let it, let us know on Discord if he he might have changed this timeline. I can't remember exactly what's going on with, with that, but there's there's certainly. I mean, we're maybe after the end game book. Now we are in the end game itself. Look, at, we still have everything that's happening at the gate, right? I'm expecting Harry to like. Yep draw together a big force and like bring the fight to the gates or so, or the gates just like end up falling and they, you know, fall on earth. I don't know. Oh, the gates are for sure going to fall. You can't show us gates without telling them. So they're coming down. And we didn't down. even see the gatekeeper in this fight, man. Yeah, yeah that's so, true. When that's you ask where is it going to go from here, there's a lot of places that it can go in terms of, st- and he's staying in Chicago because the castle was a pretty big move. Yeah. Yeah. He, he- move your crap. <laughs> That was he awesome. He needs his lab. He needs to build another shield bracelet. <laughs> a proper <laughs> one this time. I don't even know what that means, man. It seemed like his other shield bracelet was doing pretty dang good. No. By definition, it shielded a whole it lot of stuff. It, it was, I don't know, man. I don't know why he ends up ragging on his old shield bracelet. That's soon out of left field. All right. Let's go to some lighter hearted stuff. What was the funniest part for you guys? I have, I have a few that I kind of queued up here so I'll, I'll read them off you tell me which one 
you like the best or give me something else. So you shall not pass. We finally got it on the bridge. That was awesome. Harry definitely picked his moment there. I thought there's just some small dialogue thing like where he's fighting someone and he says, oh yeah, they rolled a higher initiative this time for me. And as a D&D player, that stuff like that is funny. I thought the giant like naming our kills, our, you know, our, our listing off our resume was awesome. And then the giant just says, well, I fought with Thor and Harry's like, whoa, okay. Can't say anything to that. And then everything with Toot Toot at the beginning with the Zalord, I thought that was the best Toot Toot writing I've seen yet. So those are a few things. Anything else that I missed that had you guys chuckling? Toot Toot taking out Dracul with garlic, with a garlic pack from a pizza place. Yeah, Toot Toot MVP. That was pretty Here's awesome. the thing too. It's crazy because almost every single one of those situations that you listed was a very funny, quirky thing that was said right before like this heartwarming scene or like this just totally like grinning from ear to ear scene or heartbreaking scene right after the dragon or right after the giant resume Murphy well, died. Right, yeah, uh, but right before that she bazooka the dragon. Yeah. So, bazooka, I mean, like yeah. you have like these lighthearted dialogues that are happening in the midst of these, Finding yeah. moments. Man, he just yanks your emotions all over yeah. the place. He really Butcher. does. He got us. He I also, I, I I think the most that I laughed at, I was laughing out loud in the Christmas Eve short story afterwards. Oh, wait, wait. I haven't read this one. Okay, you're good. The, the funniest joke there was, was when he's putting together the toys and, and Mab comes in and gives him the music box that's going to play the Frozen song. And Harry's like, I've heard that a few times. Yeah. Thank you. For this terrible As gift. somebody who is who has a daughter that's absolutely obsessed with Frozen right now, I totally related to that. We got our for last Christmas, we got like all these little toys that only play a snippet of, of Frozen songs. Uh, those things are awful. Okay, so between Toot Toot and Butters, who's the MVP of this book? I mean, I don't know if either of them are the actual right. MVP, but in terms of maybe like heartwarming MVP and funny and like common man's warrior. I'm going to have to go with butters because he was throughout in two toot. He was useful towards the end, but his, his best parts were at the beginning yeah. when maybe the action wasn't quite as big, but butters was there for the yeah, big that's things. True. And then you have Bob, who's also strangely MVP status. I don't know if Bob was quite that big for me. I mean, I one. guess he just had a funny, a few funny one-liners. He like is taking out, when all this stuff is happening, he's like, what the heck? What? What's going on? You know, just like. Yeah, it's like, oh, did we win? Oh, no, we didn't. <laughs> I'm going to Utah. Stuff like this never happens in Utah. That line. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I may be recording from Utah right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty that was funny. Can confirm that no uh, no henchmen and, you know, of the FOMORs are running around killing me and no ethnews are shooting red eyes of death out at anyone. So Utah is indeed safe. <laughs> so, okay. I think that that wraps up like the characters, but there's like still a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Man, we don't have time. <laughs> Worst of the best really fast. Okay. So that, I mean, we, we talked through a lot of things. If you want to talk with us more, jump on discord invites are on all the episode links, etc. And we're just going to end with the worst of the best. This is the segment we do where we talk about the moments that we liked the best, but then like the one thing from it that could have been a little bit better. 
So if you're listening on the podcast, we are going to have our uh, our new readers, Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, read you into this segment now. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess, the stain on the satin, and the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. Okay, so thanks, guys. And I'll start with mine. So my worst of the best. Look, this is going to sound bad, but the best moment was maybe when Murphy died, not because it was the good thing that happened, but because of the emotional impact. And I thought it was really well done. The worst moment was just that Rudolph killed her. I would have, I would have liked her to go out bigger. We already talked about this, but that was mine. Okay, my worst of the best was all the new characters and all the new character types that were introduced in the action sequences. I didn't want to have to divert my mental mental energy into creating like these new stranger than fiction characters and keep track of the battle at the same time. That's fair. But then again, the action sequences was great. I just thought that the universe was already popular enough with like bad guys that we could have used them. Yeah, like our new Evil 13 villains where you have to kill all 13 of the pack to be or they get stronger or the i mean octo kongs are kind of cool i was able to imagine those pretty easily but i know what you're saying and then just the pages spent trekking over dead bodies was just i know that it's like realistic but it was just still like oh my goodness okay so that was kind of around action and then my other worst of the best was that the Muggle world still not accepting wizards. <laughs> yeah, those idiots. Only Chicago has figured I'm it like, out. <laughs> I'm ready for the world to transition. And and especially because I felt like it was kind of an unfulfilled promise where like Dresden's like, there's no coming back from this. Like maybe now Chicago itself, like Chicago proper is going to like wise up to stuff. But like the whole world should have, you know, found out about it, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, Josh, what's yours? My worst of the best. Is the Kraken. I, I did start out with some fist pumps reading the Kraken, but this is one of those things that I mentioned earlier that I feel like didn't need to be there. It was just fun. Yeah, it was just fun. And I kind of wish that it would have just, you can cut stuff like that out and devote a little bit more time to some slower, more intimate moments. Yeah, the Kraken. It was cool, but then it, it's like, okay, we're over with. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I, I I mean, it's hard to say no to a Kraken fight, but at the same time, was it really needed with all the other action that was going on? Yeah, save it for another book. You hard know? to say. You could have taken down the Kraken in his Lara Love Fest book. <laughs> all right, so we're looking forward to the Lara Love Fest book coming up. Uh, hopefully, not uh, too long, but uh, we're willing to wait for you know in, until that one comes out. I think it's called Mirror Mirror, unless I'm mistaken. Things have been changed there so thanks for listening if you like phantology again check us out at www.phantologybooks.com where you can find all of our episodes listed there follow us on social media at phantology books check out our patreon channel where there are a bunch of exclusive tiers you get early access to our episodes um, get some exclusive discord benefits and some access into what's going on with the channel and let your voice be heard just a little bit more so thanks ben and josh i think overall we were i was pumped about this one i'm sad that it's over sad that i have to wait more for for more dresden but we were spoiled this summer yeah 
We're going to be spoiled the rest of the year, man. We got some big releases. Big things coming down the pipe at the end of the year. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Steven. Thanks, Ben.